0: This is the one with mercurial mercenaries
1: A Lucy Miller threesome
0: And a rebel with a cause
1: It's called Prisoner of the Sun Here Here we go. go! Reviewing stuff for rebels too Because we love our Doctor Who Cultish robots are no bore Hosting prison, why not sure The robot Haven and Blackpool Or is Phobos pretty cool Now and then and here and there We'll
0: follow Doc8 everywhere Who back when Reviewing all of who there is Who back when Subscribe and rate on iTunes please Audiobook by audiobook
1: Even those that are globally cook We'll review them all you see So join us on this odyssey Is Who
0: back when who back Back when When. ladies and gentlemen welcome to another insert laudatory adjectives here episode of who back when a doctor who podcast or doc past that's right and welcome to another audio (laughs) episode already Wow, surprise, surprise. This one
1: came out of left field.
0: Yeah. A028, Prisoner of the Sun. Yeah.
1: My favorite number, by the way.
0: Twenty-eight. Yeah. Oh. My favorite number used to be 123, which we just did in the New Who channel, but this is boring. <laughs> who am I? I am Drew Backwen, and I'm gonna stop being boring any minute now by handing over to my guy in my computer who is known as
1: Leon. That's me.
0: Hi. Are you actually known as Leon?
1: Yeah, that's that's what most people call me. Hi Drew. Hi, Podcast Land.
0: That is on your birth certificate, but are you? still ponkin really
1: (laughs) we'll see we'll see about that
0: okay All you have to do is listen to the very end of the episode oh i bet you can hardly wait (laughs) so i said to you over whatsapp yesterday i think this episode is better than we have been listening to in the audio channel of late and you replied oof That's correct. I did reply OOF. I would love to know what that OOF means. Well,
1: do you know what? I re-listened to this today. So I've listened to this twice in less than 24 hours, and I'm now super-duper enthused by this audiobook.
0: Oh, good. Oh, so was the OOF originally enthusiasm?
2: So the
1: OOF originally was due to the fact that I listened to... the The first time around, I listened to this whilst hurrying uphill... In the rain And then hurrying back Downhill Still in the rain And on my way downhill My umbrella broke
0: So Oh right <laughs> So that was more to do With external circumstances Than anything else
1: Well yeah g- Given all of those External circumstances I found it The first time around A little difficult To follow along With who was who Everything just seemed Sonorously Auditorially <laughs> It just seemed A little homogenous There weren't many Characters Or character voices that stood out as you know specifically that character they weren't individualistic
0: enough-huh
1: but the second time around I listened to it just here at home no rain no need for an umbrella loved it
0: oh wow well, great yeah
1: in fact I have lots of positive things to say about this episode wow well, oh. audiobook
0: well we should get around to that but only once the proper protocols have been followed shall we induct the listeners by means of a esco
1: oh let's Time for us to synopsize, labify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brief and listen to this overview. This free for all,
0: we like to call a bite sized chunk of who? Bite sized chunk of who? The doctor has spent six years residing at the consensus's pleasure. It's harder. <laughs> I'm going to leave this in because Anthony Costa, he deserves a bit of a break for saying consensus as is at some point because it's not
1: easy. Yeah. All of this is staying in the episode.
0: Yep. Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> the Doctor has spent six years residing at the consensus's pleasure, at the heart of a botched stellar weapon, tackling solar eruptions as they're in up before they get too close to the monitoring station so they don't all rise, fly by, and wipe out the two billion people living on the star system's planets, leaving him guilty. <laughs>
1: Not being familiar with Blue myself, I I may not use the right intonation for these bits. (laughs) (laughs) Into this boiling pot sneak, two sims, former rebellious allies of the Doctor. One says, you make me wanna kill you because it'll... I can't do this. Because it'll be worse if you come back. But the other tells him to breathe easy because the consensus have nearly trapped him in a giant computer game. Can you work out the truth before the curtain falls?
0: Oh, I bet that's how Curtain Falls sounds. I have no idea. Do you know any of these songs? I looked up the ones in my paragraph, but not (laughs) yours. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, B-Scout over. You are welcome. You'll be the judge of that. (laughs) <laughs> Apologies, podcast land <laughs> And all certain members of Blue Of course, yes, thank you for
1: listening So where are we starting this? Some facts, maybe?
0: Yes, oh, that's a great place to start it This was written by Eddie Robson Indeed And it was released in January 2011, so we're only nine years behind
1: Eddie Robson, whom we've encountered on Who Back When before A number of times And who has, if you look him up on TARDIS wiki
0: Holy moly,
1: the man has written a lot of Doctor Who too. Tons of it, absolutely tons of it In fact he was also a producer for Big Finish For one or two seasons Of Bernice Summerfield, so very prolific Chap.
0: Yeah, one of the Big Finish Big Cheeses.
1: Absolutely, the the Ones that he's written that we have already Reviewed on Who Back When are Phobos Human Resources, love that one Grand Theft Cosmos, takes place in Stockholm, The Eight Truths, World Wide Web, Situation Vacant And Prisoner of the Sun
0: Right, yes, and I've experienced Two of these, and I remember Saying wow Eddie Robson can Really write his Way around a plot And then Situation vacant And uh, not so good At all (laughs)
1: But then He does this And like totally Redeems himself I think he does Yeah Prisoner of the Sun Not to be confused With the third Doctor short story Prisoners of the Sun By Tim Robbins Not the one You're thinking of
0: Well, there is a lot of Doctor Who content out there now, isn't there?
1: Yeah, there's some. I
0: mean, I, I was just looking at down the 8th Doctor's list, you know, what McGann's been doing since the end of the 8th Doctor Adventures, as we are now approaching the end of those, and Indeed. the list for him alone is vast, and that's just audiobooks. It's mind-boggling. JD, how do you fit it all in? <laughs> Hey-o!
1: <laughs> Isn't there also a new 8th Doctor Adventures?
0: Sheridan Smith came back and recorded another four episodes Oh, right, yeah But that's it, so it's like a half a series, really
1: No, oh, okay We're not reviewing those, not just yet When we get to the end of this series We'll figure out what to do next
0: Yeah, and perhaps we could take it under advisement, Podcast Land Oh, yes,
1: yes, absolutely
0: Is that all for facts? I mean, there's not much else to say. I mean, unless we go into the cast.
1: Well, one of them we have encountered a number of times as well.
0: Would that be Beth Chalmers?
1: It would, indeed. Beth Chalmers, whom we have encountered in a number of roles, but who otherwise, and I remember JD pointing this out one of the times that we've encountered her, I believe in Weir and Dawn, that she, quote-unquote, famously has portrayed four of the Doctor's companions' mothers.
0: Yeah, we've encountered her in a number of lifts, we've encountered her in a number of monarchies, and in a number of family trees. Indeed, yes. In fact, she turned up at the end of this episode in the post-credit interviews and basically said, yes, I'm sort of running out of voices. Everything otherworldly, I won't make, want to make sound like this, but I have to come, keep creating new sounds from my voice box because there are just so many things I have to try and actualise.
1: And among her many roles, she played two queens, one bug queen and one spider queen. So that in and of itself, how do you distinguish those two? How do you, how do you make them distinctive insectoid voices?
0: One of them you wave your arms around while you're doing it and the other just your fingers.
1: Oh, that's the right. And yes, fine spiders aren't insects. Don't write
0: in. <laughs> Arachnids, <laughs> we know. We listened to that <laughs> that episode that they didn't say anything else the whole time. <laughs>
1: Okay, so how about this episode then? Where, where do you want to start?
0: Well, I want to pick up with something you've already said, which is the voices are pretty samey among the Mercurials, aren't they?
1: Yeah, very samey.
0: I mean, I, kn- I know that you were able to distinguish them better when you were not outside, not flying through the air at tremendous speeds and getting <laughs> rained on, but could you really tell which of them was talking at any given moment? One of them sounded a bit older and a bit croaky, but they were all really middle-class and- and well spoken <laughs> and
1: and they all sounded as though they were standing in the middle of a cathedral and speaking through sheets of baking paper. Yeah, you're right. I couldn't tell them apart.
0: Yeah, and I I would also add that they were all written really similarly as well. There there was not a distinguishing feature among them apart from one can hack stuff.
1: Yeah, but if you look at the CD cover for this audiobook, you have the three mercurials on the cover, and you can't look at either one of them and go, oh yeah, right, that's Shill, or that's Whatever the other one is Fash Fash and Gliss That's it Yeah There's no way to tell them apart And I don't think we really need to Plus the dialogue actually quite often I, I, This is something that we talked about in, in a prior audiobook review I believe this is something that got on your nerves That almost every line directed at them ends in their name Like what do you think? Fash I don't know Gliss This is what this is my opinion You know that sort of thing
0: Yeah Whenever one approaches McGann It's Oh Gliss Welcome Fash Fash, nice to see you. <laughs> Shill, haven't seen you in a while.
1: <laughs> Not since Gliss and Fash stopped by.
0: <laughs> yeah, how are Gliss and Fash anyway? Does Fash still like Gliss or is Gliss fallen out with Fash?
1: Hey, Shill, tell Fash uh, Gliss is high. Yeah, anyway, yeah, so we. <laughs> exactly, that sort of thing. Uh, but frankly, I don't feel like we need to be able to tell them apart.
0: Well, no, they are expendable and they are interchangeable, but. The more they talked, the more I wish there had been a little bit more to them. Not that I need to care about them, because in the end, I mean, they they just get killed, don't they? Yeah. Well, I mean, wouldn't actually caring about them make it a little more impactful in that case?
1: That's true, but are we meant to sympathise with these three characters?
0: No, we're absolutely not. They are all mercenaries, but they all have the exact same mindset. There isn't any discord or dissensus among them at all when one says we should do something the other basically says oh i can't do it but i I agree that this should be done in fact there's a lot of confirmatory talk throughout of we should do this yes that is what i am in the process of doing (laughs) i've already thought of this and the process is underway and some of that seemed a bit much and a bit wasteful a bit superfluous yeah yeah in a very but maybe very that's short a... episode i mean that's valuable time estate but maybe
1: that's a way to get around i mean just as we did when we were writing pandorica uh, operation pandorica not the pandorica opens when we were writing operation pandorica and we were reviewing audiobooks right before it and i'm sure maybe one or two right after we released pandorica we were making these obvious just being human parallels to our own stuff and i'm pretty sure that we were picking up points where like oh wait hang on rather than have someone say what they're doing you can do sort of the show don't tell thing you can just hear someone sighing or you can just have a sound effect or something and then that covers it. That that solves the problem. We don't need a narrator in this scene. This audiobook demonstrates a lot of show-don't-tell and then tries to subvert that by having someone tell the audience what they're showing the audience already. The whole thing of, hey, Fash, Shill, or Gliss, we should do- be doing this. Yes, I'm already doing it, is a way of circumventing the necessity to have someone outline exactly what they are in the process of doing.
0: Oh I see. Yes. It disguises it well, I mean
1: It's a slightly more elegant way of way of doing it. If Gliss Schill or already forgotten the third one. Fash. Fash. If either one of those three were to say, I am just doing this and now I'm doing this and it's all, you know, it's supported by various sound effects. And now I'm doing this and I'm just gonna do blah 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 blah. That would be boring and it would also be really unnatural because no one talks like that. No one describes their actions.
0: That holds insofar as well for exactly those scenes that you describe but there are also scenes where that unnaturalness carries over when whichever one gliss i guess is the one in charge
1: no idea
0: is talking to the doctor yeah saying to the doctor about and we cannot do this because that would be to invalidate our contract and our contract is with the consensus and the consensus pay us our money and and <laughs> it's not quite that bad and i sort of said it in reverse But that really stuck out to me as, oh, really? Uh, There are a lot of info dumps in this episode. Yeah, that's like
1: a Dalek-level info dump.
0: Yeah. I made a note of an info dump early on that I really liked, which I'll contrast with what we're talking about. When the Doctor is cooking Daphne Miller a crepe, Yes. And he's telling her about the consensus and how they program the androids and how many star systems they control and the history of those star systems and the weaponry of the sun and the rebel movement and how he's got there and how long he's been there. He manages to say all of that. And it's so interesting. It covers such a lot of ground so quickly, so concisely, so needfully and, and also, I suppose you can hear the sounds of cooking in the background and i, I didn 't come away from this scene hungry, but I came away you know filled satisfied Th- yeah. there was, that, that was slightly
1: a- grows down because let 's face it, no one wants to see anyone eat
0: yeah <laughs> yeah, one of the first things this audiobook does is make you picture mouth full of crap. but yeah. <laughs> Yeah,
1: I agree with you. I I also recognize that scene as being really nicely put together. However, 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 I don't understand why it's there, if not just for our benefit. And it is clearly just there for our benefit
0: yeah it is but but it's it's good enough that i i didn't care about that it's i mean all info dump scenes are there for our benefit and okay it does stand out but you're able to enjoy it even in the moment of realizing an awareness when gliss is talking about the contract and later on i mean poor anthony costa as hagan has a ton of turns of dialogue that go on one or two or three sentences too long and the poor guy He's given some really chewy, long, flappy words to get his mouth around, and and he gets to the end, absolutely. But it needed trimming. This really short episode needed some trimming.
1: For added behind-the-scenes context, we are recording this episode of Who Back When right after having gone through bits of our upcoming audiobook (laughs) ourselves and talking about what needs to be trimmed. Yeah. yeah. Uh, And and I just...
0: Well, I was was just going to say that this... I may or may not be borne out in the final cut, but listening to this one really does bring home to me that everything needs to be as tight as possible. You can't have one character talking on for too long because if they do like Hagen does in this one, then you've lost the listener. There's nothing else going on. If they're not listening to the one person talking, that's the ball game. It's over.
1: Exactly. These audiobooks, they need to be way snappier than the corresponding TV stories. Yeah. Can I just cycle back to the crep info dump? Mm-hmm. The thing that bothered me, my however for that scene, is it's preceded by the Doctor going, oh, they haven't installed the backstory in you. Well, I'm not surprised because I always remove the backstory from all of my assistants. So if he always removes the backstory from his assistants, why does he then provide the backstory to this one where it's already been removed a priori?
0: I'm not sure that's quite what's going on. I think it's... He removes the official consensus propaganda version of history and then he replaces it with his rebel narrative is what's going on there.
1: Okay, alright You know what? Convinced Fine That That's all it took, man
0: <laughs>
1: I like <laughs> nice. this story a little bit more now Hey Yeah You brought up Hagen before How do you feel about Hagen?
0: Well, I'm, I've am mixed feelings Okay I've done a lot of talking Why don't you tell me what you think about Mr. Hagen?
1: It struck me in the beginning I didn't know who he was And it wasn't until the um, after episode behind the scenes interviews That I figured out Alright, oh, cool So he's he's a boy band chap Have you ever listened to Blue? I've never listened to Blue
0: I mean, I lived through the period of their fame, (laughs) and I'm sure you will have heard them represent the UK on their reunion in 2011. Well, they
1: had the Eurovision.
0: Yeah, the Eurovision with their song, I Can Untie These Hands.
1: I'm sure I will have heard that particular song, but I don't remember it. I think I've seen one of the members of Blue portray the lead in the production of Rocky Horror that oh. played here in uh, in Oxford.
0: Oh, wow. Okay.
1: Yeah, I think so. Anywho, before knowing who this guy was, I felt like maybe his deliveries were a little hit and miss, but the hits were way better than the misses were bad.
2: Oh,
0: okay. How did he hit and how did he miss? Towards the end, I th- I think maybe... Maybe this is, in
1: fact, a gradual progression of his acting talent. So towards the end, maybe he's had a stern talking to, or he's just a little bit more, you know, leger. He's a bit more comfortable inside the booth and, and so on. He's more convincing to me. He's, he's I, I just buy the character of Hagen. And in fact, the further into the story we get, the character of Hagen becomes way more complex. Yeah. Which is part of what I really enjoy about this story. But in the beginning, it wasn't quite... <laughs> at all. I don't want to say that the scale is from, like, you know, McGann Jr. to Meryl Streep, but, like, it was a little bit closer to the former.
0: May I read out my note upon hearing Anthony Costa's <laughs> oh, here we go. stage bland? <laughs> He's so flat at first, I thought he might be Alex McGann through a filter. I mean, that's not out of the question, that Jakey boy... Has been turned by the monk and is is doing his nefarious bidding by by Certainly. killing his own great grandfather. Yeah, but no, that's way mo- no, it's not way more imaginative than what this episode does because this episode is a good episode. But yes, he he went from being Alex McGann to being a perfectly serviceable, competent cast member. But when oh, he boss. had when he had uh, that's my version of your however, okay. But <laughs> When he had more than two sentences, let's say... Then they all started to run together like this, and you could barely take a breath. And he would just keep going, and because he's got to get to the end. And this is really there's no time to explain, and and everything's tense, and and it just sort of carried on like that. And if you lost the thread, there was no way you were regaining it because there there wasn't quite enough variety, you know, sing-song in his delivery quite yet. He was getting better, but he needed a. I mean, he said in the post-show interview that this was his first time doing. Yeah, exactly You could tell
1: Do you know what else you could tell? Do tell
0: What's his name again? Anthony Costa
1: This was Anthony Costa doing Anthony Costa Oh, you think? The the behind-the-scenes interviews That's the first time I've ever heard this person speak in my life Right and he may as well still have been in character because it felt as though the delivery was very much the same. He's just doing himself. It's like they've cast him because they need a young, cool, you can sort of imagine him at least in an audiobook as, you know, the, the B-movie action hero type of guy. And, yeah, just be a little confused. You know, just just do that. Be a little confused.
0: Yeah. Although that goes against the character, because the character has to think on his feet. The character has to keep abreast of exactly what's going on and exactly what he needs to tell the Doctor to fit in with the pretense, with the web of lies he's spinning.
1: That's a fair point, yes.
0: Although perhaps appearing confused at the beginning would make the Doctor believe more in his sincerity? Oh, I don't know, because there are so many twists and turns in this episode. I suppose it could work either way. Um, but I think he was mostly there, because they'd already had someone from Blue, on as they played the clip of, and because he
1: There was some d- connection there, wasn't there, as well? He he knew the director or he knew the writer?
0: Someone else did. We might come to that. Oh,
1: right. Um, okay, sorry.
0: I think he provided a counterpoint to all these middle-class mercurials. You know, his voice did stand out, thank goodness, because otherwise it was just, you know, the rather B team.
1: Yeah, which makes perfect sense as well, and I think that's probably also a bit of a trope. You have the rebels, the rebel fighters who... They're street smart, but they're not necessarily meant to be these well-educated posh people.
0: Ah, the Rickies of the Doctor Who universe. (laughs) Yes, exactly that. I haven't had time to go to finishing school. I was too busy learning how to kill.
1: (laughs) Imagine Mickey Ricky, but with perfect diction. (laughs) 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 How unconvincing would that have been? Very is the right answer. Very unconvincing. Yep, yep.
0: We took the word right out of my mouth
1: what about the other rebel
0: oh jelena yes she was very quick to be won over by the doctor (laughs) (laughs) it's funny i've listened to this twice as well and it's a similar experience to you It, it is so tight that it's great while it's going along But if you start to think about it and if you try to take notes during it, as I found during the second one, it's impossible because you just lose the thread. She does a vault fast extremely quickly. She goes from killing the doctor to being utterly fangirly and like, oh, you really are the legend I always dreamed of. I hope saying that doesn't get me in any trouble <laughs> Dies instantly And it's only when you look back that it's like Oh wait, that was, hmm About a dozen lines she had From one extreme to the other Absolutely, <laughs> yes
1: I was going to say, I think her character Proved to me how fickle I am as a listener Because I couldn't care a, a tinker's cuss for that character Up until that one scene In which she exposes a little bit of backbone And, and some character She shows that she has a little bit of heart And then boom, she gets blasted to smithereens. And I empathised. I, I, rather, I I sort of empathised with the doctor in that situation. Of course you, you should care about this person, this weird rebel. She was a good person. We know that from the two seconds of dialogue we just heard.
0: Yeah, because she loved you. I empathise. You had a fan. You were just about to add a Twitter follower and she was cruelly taken from you much too soon.
1: Exactly. (laughs) You go to all that effort. One hashtag away from immortality. And that's sort of it for characters, isn't it? I mean, we have those two. We have a tremendous amount of pseudo-Lucies. Oh, yes. And we have three Mercurials.
0: Yeah. That is the entirety of the cast. Yeah.
1: Did you notice, by the way, the faux companions, the four Lucies?
0: Chloe and Daphne.
1: Well, the four of them are named in alphabetical order. We have A, B, C, D. Annie, Bethany, Chloe, and Daphne.
0: Yeah, and they all end in E. True. <laughs>
1: <laughs> if you'd had enough to get to the letter L, what would you have named her?
0: L- Sorry, Laney. Is that a name? Sure. <laughs> Leonie. Is that what you want me to say?
1: No. I mean, I, I'm...
0: <laughs>
1: had... Come to mind, but it's not like I'm forcing you. It's yeah.
0: <laughs> no, no, I did that completely unprompted.
1: So how do you feel about the four Lucy's?
0: <sighs> how do I feel about them? I, I expected to feel something when you asked me that question, and I just didn't. There was nothing in there for me to dredge up. They did what they had to do. Sheridan Smith is nothing if not competent. Certainly. Um
1: I mean she's playing the same part, basically.
0: Yeah, except one of them's turned evil. Yeah. Um, although she turns evil a lot later than we think which i thought was very clever yeah definitely this episode does a great job of keeping you off balance i'll maybe go into more detail of that later but yes there was one note i made where the doctor says to daphne while he's booting her up putting her through the two minute finishing school develop a sense of humor will you because that's the easiest thing in the world to do um robot yeah yeah Because, I mean, that's the- otherwise I'll go mad And I don't feel like she got much of a chance to deploy said sense of humour
1: No, not at all
0: She said one remark faintly suggestive of humour Where she says, can you give me the slightly longer history? When he gives her the far too short history of the consensus And it tells her basically nothing But yeah, that's a stretch And to find anything else is really reaching
1: A few questions here First off, the Doctor gives her a sound file And there's uh, a bit of an orchestra. Augmented character file, maybe I don't know. There, there's something else. He, there's like an expansion pack, I think he says. Yes, but there's there's a sound file. Everyone gets to sound like Lucy Miller. Mm-hmm. So, question one: Is this not just a little bit weird?
0: As in, were Amy and Bethany, or ever they were, prototype fuckbots?
1: No, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, not first that off, that you weird. went there, and normally that's the direction I'm heading. Okay, but no, I don't but, think so, dude.
0: He's been on that station for six years. What are these consignments? <laughs> What are these deliveries? Are they just fresh tissues, or is he making <laughs> use of the assistance the consensus? Yeah, that's provides? fine. Just
1: leave out the coleslaw and the tuna, but but leave me the man-sized tissues, please. Uh, yeah. N- <laughs> <laughs> No, it's. It, I wasn't going to go there, but I think it's a little bit strange that he has he's let his friend Lucy Miller go. He knows that he's going to see her again sometime, presumably, because why wouldn't he? She's off gallivanting on, you know, she's got an interrail pass with his great grandson,
0: yeah, whom he's inexplicably interested in and will no doubt be bothering later.
1: Absolutely. So most likely he will encounter her again. Is it not a little bit weird that while he is on this particular mission that he'd try to emulate her character to such a degree.
0: I mean, it is weird um, because you would get bored of it, wouldn't you? Because she would sound like Lucy but either she would be stuck at emulating a certain level of Lucy's character but not being so lifelike Lucy you would ever confuse the two. He'd he'd never do a double take and be like, oh, wow, I forgot that that's not the real deal there. So she's always going to be a bit inferior. Or she's going to develop in a different way, and then he's going to be like, that's not Lucy. Lucy wouldn't do that. What are you doing? I'm going to kill you and move on to Ellie or something.
1: All of those things are completely true, but I also think that it... I I, I think it's really unhealthy. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right, yeah. This is not how you treat your friends in absentia. You don't go, "All right, well, I'm going to see my friend in a while. You know, like, during lockdown uh, around the world... Everyone is everyone who is being responsible anyway, is separated from many of their nearest and dearest. You wouldn't under these circumstances make avatars if you had the ability to do so. You wouldn't create avatars to mimic your friends.
0: Oh, I don't know. I mean I think this is a very marketable idea and yeah, to um, the... we should get together with Charlie Brooker and and you know, he's already done this in at least one episode of Blackmail. Certainly I mean, let's let's bring this to to market i'm sure the south koreans have got all the infrastructure ready to go yeah there are
1: lots and lots of incredibly psychologically damaged and emotionally unhealthy people out there who will be your reliable customers
0: i'd like to think i'm doing them a favor rather than
1: yeah but eventually they will be reunited with the real version
0: oh right
1: you know what this reminds me of. I'm sure this has come up on Who Back When as well. I think in the context of K9, in fact. It bothers me, and I'm sorry if anyone in podcast land embodies this principle, but it really bothers me when people have people have pets, and XE is not bothers later,
0: Leon. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah, really bothers him.
1: No, no. Wait, wait, wait. Not done. At some point, unfortunately, the pet passes away.
0: Most pets. Not Evie. Never. Evie's going to live forever. She's going to learn how to fly. Shut up.
1: Those people get a new pet... They give it the same name.
0: <laughs> yeah. That yeah.
1: super duper bothers me. And this is the same thing. Except it's like, oh, well, I have a cat and I'm going on a holiday. So I'm, I'm putting the cat in some sort of cat hotel. And then and I'm going to be away for two weeks. But while I'm away for two weeks, I really miss having a cat around. I'm going to have a cat. I'm going to give it the name of my cat. And then I'm going to go home. And I'm going to pick up my cat with the same name from the hotel. Fucking weird, man.
0: Yeah My mum was in charge of naming the cats When I was a small boy We had four cats Okay, They were called Cat Cat 1, Cat Cat 2 (laughs) Cat Cat 3 and Cat Cat 4
1: I must ask, why Cat Cat 1 and not Cat 1?
0: Well, it was probably just Cat Cat and not Cat Cat 1 Now I think about it
1: Yeah, because that that would be horrible otherwise You are the first in a long line of Cat Cats
0: (laughs) Well, we lived near a very busy main road And that's what did for Two of the Cat-Cats, at least. Oh, I'm so sorry. My mum managed to run over Cat-Cat 3 herself. I mean, she was just reversing very slowly in the car, and the thing ran under her wheel. it, It was, it was the, I don't know, it... It was trying to win a Darwin Award before they were even a thing. So well done, Cat Cat Three. Y- yes, Your well done. Your stupidity has been immortalized.
1: Oh, I'm I'm very sorry, dude.
0: And it was fine. It's it's hard to mourn an animal that stupid. It really is. <laughs> like, even my mum, who was who was who had ran the thing over and was an adult at the time, <laughs> just just laughed at it. Like after a certain point, you have to be like, okay, you you deserve it. why should I be upset? So yeah, but that's different. That's that's just naming the species of it in case you forget. Sure. Um, okay, fine. No, you're different right. it example. it's very then. strange. You, then. You're
1: in a relationship.
0: I am. Thanks for noticing.
1: This is the impersonal you. One is in a relationship with someone. Uh One has... Sorry, this is spending a lot of time on this one thing that really bothers me, but okay. (laughs) I'll give you this one last example, and then you can kick it to the side, and we can move on. But all right, so in this relationship this person has very particular pet names for that significant other it's not just you know honey or darling or whatever they very very specific nicknames
0: harry bollocks harry
1: bollocks <laughs> fine <laughs> And then that relationship ends, and then you give the exact same affectionate nickname to your next significant other. That is weird.
0: I think what makes it weird is that the hairy bollocks would would look different. They would be a different shape and have different hair. And so if you're calling these new hairy bollocks, hairy bollocks, you... are calling to mind the image of the previous Harry Bullocks. It, yes, it's dissonant exactly. Um, and why I go to all the trouble of being that rancid at such length is he sets up Daphne to have black hair,
1: black hair and, and a black cardigan, I think, or something like that. Yeah, I mean, but we Sharon don't know what... Smith
0: is definitely blonde. She, I, I looked back on a lot of the CD sleeves, and she seems to just be blonde there. She doesn't seem to have dyed it. I don't know. Maybe, maybe she did at some point. During the run
1: Maybe But we don't know How the rest of her looks I mean maybe she looks Like a straight up robot With a wig Oh yeah (laughs) And a cardigan
0: Yeah just completely metallic Yeah Okay so that was
1: my First point about it But yeah yeah. Carry on I've got another point to raise Do you feel That just saying Here are your character traits Loyal Eager Earnest Do you feel that Those three character traits Sufficiently encapsulate Lucy Miller So that anyone Who is given Given that order, will act like Lucy Miller.
0: Well, no, not at all. Instantly ribald and earthy and sarcastic spring to mind. Yeah, certainly. Why isn't Bolshee on that list? Bolshee, of course. I mean, that's what he should have called the B android, really. <laughs> Argy bargy, Bolshe <laughs>
2: I can't think of a C.
0: Carpy, Chatty. 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 <laughs> Alright, sorry, yeah. I feel like I've been babbling over here. No, that I'd much prefer that point to the previous point. I think that's the one to have spent fifteen to twenty minutes on. <laughs> 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 no, you're right. I mean if I were to describe you, I mean it's well it's Oh, well, here we go. No, no, Be no, careful. I've thought of an even better example. Okay. The fucking COVID virus. If you name the three most common symptoms of it, which is all the NHS app will currently accept as criteria for going and getting a test if you have them you are going to miss thousands of cases a big proportion of the overall caseload because some people don't get a fever or a cough or what's the other one
1: loss of uh, taste Smell That's the
0: fella Yeah So people like the distribution of COVID symptoms Are more complicated than just three. I mean, if I were to come back to the point I tried to avoid And describe you with three adjectives (laughs) Okay Um, I'm
1: very sensitive, so be careful And don't say sensitive I just gave that to you, so you can't use it Okay
0: (laughs) Defensive comes to mind (laughs) Overbearing (laughs) Demanding (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, okay what have we got um is re- renaissance man is more of a oh. noun than a than a than an adjective oh, so
1: um, it, dude stop right there <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh well that's it you only need one it turns out you just gotta pick the right one wait
1: can i have one more
0: oh um <laughs> you just told me to stop right there what the fuck are you doing impossible to please how about that <laughs> fine 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 <laughs> Okay, moving swiftly on. Uh huh. Just before, you know, you tried to do it on me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not that gutsy. Soundscapes, sound effects.
1: Excellent topic. Mm. How do you feel about them? And sound effects, let's include that.
0: Well, I first made a note when the ship came into land. It flew across in front of you from left to right, and there was an echo and a, a, a boom, and it was a really funny full effect there were engines and there was air swishing about and direction yeah i I was i was blown away by that one
1: yeah I, i agreed same here that one and also another sound effect or another i think this is probably this counts as a filter maybe but or the a series of filters the ones that are applied to the real lucy miller as she rings the doctor at the end oh yeah all the distortion the weird vibrato the echo that's applied to it as well absolutely incredible effects
0: yeah that has traveled a long way through subspace to find the doctor wherever he is in the furthest reaches of the universe
1: yeah soundscapes in general in this one were good but they are also a little bit samey otherwise i feel
0: in saying that are you referring to the alarms and the gunshots
1: well the gunshots i've made a specific note of saying i don't like them oh no. I like the fact that they've gone for something different but they didn't sound threatening they didn't there was no mass to them there was no real you know auditory presence to that except just a you know it's sort of download weird sound effect from Shutterstock or whatever like, it, it seemed a little below the very high bar that's been set by for example the spaceship landing
0: and I would add the weapon that Chloe has at the end oh which yes comparison to the gun blares especially i mean that really does sound like if you listen to that for too long you might start disintegrating
1: absolutely yeah
0: that's really unsettling
1: i agree completely excellent
0: screaming by the way i know i said you all sound the same so far you mercurials but your screams of disintegration were
1: just par excellence
0: yeah parfait
1: (laughs) (laughs) the klaxon i probably could have done without oh to such an extent
0: Oh, but I tell you what, the first time I listened to that... I was breathless when that thing stopped. Me too, yes. Yeah. It's an amazing first 22-minute part. I mean, claxon stopped going on 20, and then by 22, you've got something else to worry about.
1: Oh, it certainly adds a lot of tension, but when it stopped, I mean, there's a whole bit of dialogue about, like, can you please turn off that klaxon? Yeah. When it stopped, I realised, oh, wow, I've been listening to this klaxon for a long time.
0: I mean, that's true, but... Then I suppose we've got to be grateful for the fact that it wasn't louder.
1: That's true. Because in fact, there's dialogue on top of it.
0: Yeah, and you can hear all that dialogue perfectly well. It's it's very well pitched. This klaxon, it it is always there. You can never forget about it, but it doesn't crowd anything else out.
1: Yeah, a particular scene in our upcoming audiobook sprang to mind there because there actually there are two scenes, two consecutive scenes with a klaxon in there.
0: Yeah, I can't remember what your oh no yeah
1: space station Fernandez Gnarflex. yeah.
0: Are, you, are we going to leave that in?
1: We're leaving that in. Oh, as a wow. teaser.
0: you heard it here. First oh, podcast oh. land. <laughs> There's a space station. I bet you never thought that was possible. And someone named Fernandez. <laughs> Look, you don't need to force it. Dan Harmon will just invite you to join his crew.
1: Keep telling me that. Can I, I'll use <laughs> this recording and I'll just fall asleep to that on a loop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, can we talk plot? Yes. The consensus has tricked the Doctor into remaining inside this sun and preventing it from going supernova. Yep. And they're constantly feeding him fake supernova symptoms... Well, so that he remained there.
0: I'm not sure that they are. Because near the end of the episode, he says Hagen hacked...
1: There we go, yes.
0: ...into the systems, yes, to send a fake wave that would make the Doctor believe that the consensus had been faking it all along. So I don't think they had been. I think he really has been stopping uh, the planets below being devastated.
1: Oh, as, as in he did it once and that was enough?
0: No, as, as in for six years every solar flare up really was threatening that system and he genuinely has been saving them i don't think that was fake i think it really was you know a a an unstable weapon On the verge of self-detonation So at the
1: end Does it detonate? Do we get two billion deaths?
0: No Because he goes the long way around exactly. And he invents the automatic stabilizer In the TARDIS And applies it And it works instantly
1: Right, yeah Which, by the way Let's put a pin in that Because I have a I, I disagree with that uh, Sorry, I, I I know that that happens But I have a disagreement With how it is handled Okay What's, what's the deal with Hagen here?
0: Well, the deal with Hagen th- There is a lot to Hagen I mean, I I want to start by saying, well done, Eddie Robson. Uh, as I said up front, I know you can arrange a plot like few others can. And here, by jingo, have you done that in spades? There is so much sleight of hand and trickery in this episode. Eddie Robson is so good at thinking through these problems and these logical pathways that when they're questioning Hagen's motives, the doctor doesn't come up with one alternative he comes up with four and and the mercurials are like yes all that's very true but here's number five and here's the clincher for us and so yeah just overall i think he did a great job in that Hagen's deal i mean i'm gonna have to pick out bits of his deal i i liked the weird nobility the weird perverse twisted nobility of him saying if I kill, if I am solely responsible for killing those two billion people, I have done somewhat of a good thing rather than more people being involved and having that stain on their conscience and on their soul. I think th- that is some dark shit.
1: Yeah, very much so. One master stroke of Eddie Robson's here is that it's plot twist after plot twist, but it's pl- every plot twist is character-based and motivation-based. Yeah. Every character, it's not even a character arc. It's like a figure eight that loops into itself over and over again, and they're all interlocked.
0: Steadily, the layers of fakery and pretense get peeled away. And, some and often of them, they
1: are replaced with other layers of fakery.
0: Yes, because some of them are set up specifically by Hagen, the character, Yeah. but you don't know why, on what basis, and it's only at the very end that you realise that the consensus are not in power anymore the rebels essentially have become the new consensus which is something that has happened throughout history i'm not going to name examples but i mean there are plenty of african countries that you know shook off the shackles of empire and then the ruling elite basically perpetuated the same structures so they could retain all the power for themselves and stymie true development so yeah, I think I justified myself there. Anyway,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think you did. Yeah, the consensus will not always have been in power either. There will, there will have been a uh, a birth of the consent consensus, which very possibly was preceded by them being the underdog. Yes, there was. The rebels have been the underdog for a very long time. They win, and then all of a sudden, power corrupts, and some of them want to take their ideology in very extreme directions.
2: Yeah, the
0: the Doctor in taking his enormous crap info dump at the beginning. He says that they were part of a feudal system at one point, and that's how the consensus rose. And, oh right, yeah, yeah. And you're so right. yes, they did replace a corrupt system and became corrupted themselves. And and yeah, it's just history repeating itself. But the the fact is that you're so, or at least I was so consumed in listening to this, trying to figure out was Jelena you know, who she said she was. That didn't. That wasn't compatible with who Hagen was then saying she was. So did that mean Hagen didn't fully know who she was because she had kept that to some extent secret or was that because Hagen was lying? Both possibilities were still in play. And so I was so fixed on trying to weigh those two up against each other that the possibility that the consensus had gone into retreat and hagen was acting from a consensus like position while still being part of the rebellion i mean i couldn't get my head around that who could predict that did you predict that
1: i did not know absolutely then no one not. can <laughs> Okay, can we return to the pin that I dropped a moment Absolutely. ago? Absolutely. Right, so at the end, the Doc goes the long way around, as you say. He, um, he dematerializes, he rematerializes, and reveals that he's actually been away for three weeks, during which he uh, uh, used part of the TARDIS technology to just deus ex machina the whole spiel everything is fine, henceforth there will be no supernova, because he always knew if he only had access to the TARDIS, he could fix this forever. Right. So, why didn't he do that? He has already revealed that throughout these six years, or just under six years, he has been able to get out of there at any point he wanted.
0: Yep, that is half of the lines he says throughout this episode. Yeah. Fully half. Hmm. And if he
1: is there allegedly, I mean, he he says himself, and and I love this concept that it is a prison of his own making. If 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 there's just a door between him and freedom, everyone, including the Doctor, everyone knows that he's going to pick that lock and walk out. Not a problem, but if he's locked in by principle, by morality he's there because he feels responsible for those 2 billion lives and he wants to keep them alive and the, uh, what do they call the consensus, they are keeping him there, there as well because, I mean allegedly keeping him there as well because they need him to keep those 2 billion people alive, then surely he would have suggested this very simple automation sooner he didn't have to spend 6 years there, he could have spent, in fact we know this 3 weeks there and it would have been done.
0: Well, he would have spent no time there, but he would have spent 3 weeks in the Tardis yes, and then yeah, arrived exactly, yeah, sorry, you're exactly right exactly at the point he left. Yeah. As the Mercurials are uh, just opening Communications with the consensus down on the planet, and are halfway through the first sentence of saying the Doctor has dot 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 returned question mark as the TARDIS lands in a slightly different place yeah. from where it took off, and he walks out with this gizmo. And yes, hmm, I'm. Hmm, does that work? I mean, what would have happened first that?
1: surely what would have happened is he would have just reprogrammed his very first assistant to uh, give him access to the TARDIS he goes into the TARDIS he does his three week spiel he returns or possibly he doesn't even return he just leaves And he does so knowing that no one else is ever going to be bothered by this supernova.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a bit confusing that Chloe ends up in the TARDIS. Yeah,
1: because he reprogrammed her to do that. But saying that, also one of my notes...
0: As as in, is one of the notes, Chloe has apparently killed the Doctor, um, but not really. So the Mercurials must have bundled her into the TARDIS and said, you know what, you seem to be a bit worked up, Chloe. Just take some deep breaths, go on a little holiday, come back home, and then make up with a doctor. I'm sure he'll forgive you. I mean, we, we never find
1: fun. out how this works out, but what I'm imagining is they throw Chloe on a scrap heap. They walk away. Later on that evening, Chloe stands up, walks to the TARDIS, because the TARDIS apparently is just accessible, and then she travels back. Oh, accessible
0: on the other side of the DNA keyed force field Exactly Right, okay
1: But this all presupposes that the, the TARDIS is accessible At the very least he must know that Chloe can go and find it
0: yeah oh i don't know i mean he has to deceive the Mercurials in some way doesn't he because if if they know that he has sent chloe off in the tardis then presumably the consensus will be like well we're moving you maybe maybe we'll just move the station somewhere into a slightly different position in the heart of this sun so that when (laughs) so the tardis can't find it I mean, a star's a pretty big thing. Um, Chloe, Chloe won't be we able to find us. I don't know. Will that work? Maybe not. It seemed like the subterfuge was necessary, but perhaps you were right in saying it doesn't quite stand up.
1: It, it seems to me like a slightly ham-fisted Deus ex machina, unfortunately. And all it takes is a wibble wobble to explain why it couldn't be done up until this point. In fact, all it takes is having the doctor not say, I always knew that if I had access to my TARDIS, I could resolve this problem forever. Yes. If he hadn't said that, he just goes, well, once I got in the TARDIS, I realized, wait, hang on, this is actually pretty easy. Thank goodness Chloe found my TARDIS. Yeah. That did bother me. And I think there are a few really easy fixes for it. And maybe this is where your initial point of it's incredibly important to just go back and edit. That's where that comes in.
0: Yeah. This, I, I, it's not damning this with faint praise, I think, or I intend, um, to say that this was one more edit away from being pretty damn near perfect. Yeah, I agree. I mean, we, you're right. We don't need the Mercurials really to be. I, I mean, l- I gave Leandro a free pass in our last new review. Oh, Leandro. And he was he was the main villain. So, you know, not every element has to be firing at 100% for, a, for an episode to do what it needs to and to hold you enthralled. Correct. I would also, at this point, have you got anything more to say on this subject? No, no, go for it. Okay. I was wrong. I shouted you down earlier incorrectly. Anthony Costa does know Jason Hay directly of the episode
1: ah
0: and that is why he had this in i was thinking of pandora colin who played fash
1: oh right okay because what's her connection
0: her connection was that paul mcgann knew the writer of a play that she was acting oh, in oh yes. theatre, <laughs> and so paul mcgann comes along sees the play says what are you doing at the weekend come and play this part and in one way, it's encouraging to see this nepotistic power at work because it means that if we can just woo Paul McGann effectively, we have a certain in with Big Finish. Exactly.
1: Paul McGann exits the uh, Paddington train station <laughs> and walks past a group of um, of smokers at the time.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and he's about to cross a puddle, and one of the smokers wrenches off his coat. With extreme speed And says Mr. McGann sir Mr. McGann Please Don't muddy your shoes Step on my coat (laughs) And he's like Thank you kind sir My goodness What are you doing this weekend?
1: (laughs) Fantastic Have you ever been in an audiobook? Would you like to be in one? (laughs) (laughs) Oh oh, Paul McGann You're a legend (laughs) (laughs) But But I also have another but for this But yeah go for it Go for it go for it
0: It's not very professional, is it? This is the third third production in a row to suffer, seemingly as a result of Big Finish not having a proper casting director to stipulate that things are done by the
2: book.
1: Yes, exactly. (laughs) Or they just, I mean, certainly at this point, Paul McGann has a certain monopoly on this role. They're not going (laughs) to recast The Eighth Doctor. No, no. Absolutely not. So I'm assuming if he shows up and goes, listen, I've got some uh, casting choices in mind. One of them is my son. And the other one is this actress. She's very, very good. I just saw her on stage.
0: She was doing a monologue, so I don't know whether she can interact <laughs> with other people, but... You know, she was great on her own.
1: Well, wait, whom did she play again? Fash. Fash. I've already confessed, I can't tell these three Mercurials apart. No, so
0: she did at least as well as the other two.
1: Exactly. I'm sure she was fine. I don't think any one of the Mercurials did poorly. They, they were all good. They did the job. <laughs> but I can definitely see the frustration in the director's eyes when, when he goes, oh, again with this thing, Paul. <laughs>
0: yeah he looks around for nick briggs nick briggs his office door is closed he's not coming out
1: he looks at nick briggs office and he just sees the heel of nick briggs shoe closing the door slowly
0: (laughs) (laughs) it was the wind it was the wind what has happened is paul mcgann has turned around to big finish hasn't he he says you know we're coming to the end of a pretty successful run boys be ashamed to end it here (laughs) but you know I've got a new contract to sign and I've got some ideas about maybe where we can start taking this thing. (laughs) He's, He's got all the leverage.
1: And rightly so, because Paul McGann is a god in human form. I can't agree with that, but I, I see your sentiment. Fine, yes. Uh, I, I meant no offence. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> there was a certain human quality to... I've forgotten her name now, I'm sorry.
0: Pandora Colin.
1: Pandora Colin. By the way, incredible name.
0: Oh, that's got to be a stage name, hasn't it?
1: I don't care. Pandora Colin. Wowie what a name.
0: I'm sure her name is just Colin, and she... She added Pandora to sound cool. If
1: it's like, uh, my name is Pandora, but my friends call me like Panda or Pandy or something. No, you stick with Pandora. Okay, (laughs) because that is incredibly badass. So there was a human quality to her behind the scenes interview because she kept pushing the fact that she's an experienced actress who can do both British English and American English. She kept pushing that just in case, I'm assuming, just in case other casting directors are listening. Yeah. Which I, I really appreciated it. It's so
0: nice. <laughs> oh, I see. She She's... She's uh, scrapping to fight her way up through the system, just like you are.
1: She's only here on a fluke because Paul McGann sat in the front row, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And on a whim, cast her in this thing. Now she's on the ladder. Now she has to stay there, climb them, rung by rung, you know? Mm. Loved it.
0: (laughs) By the way, did you see, or have you seen, that on Big Finish's website FAQ's page, they say, are you an actor who wants to have a part in our shows? If so, you should email in your C and voice reel at inquiries at bigfinish.com. No. Have you never seen that? See that? Oh my god! What? Please also indicate if you have access to a home studio and what type of equipment you have. Why haven't we ever done that?
1: We're a million percent doing this. I want to say in particular for you because you are a way more talented voice actor than I am.
0: Yes, but both of us, we will both submit stuff.
1: Fine. Very happily. You'll get the part. I might... I mean, Hey, Big Finish, if you need to cast a young Master. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yes, and if he should have perhaps an evil canine...
1: That would be perfect. Yes, the adventures of young Delgado and canine Mark, I guess, sort of zero, because it's before canine one. Perfect.
0: (laughs) (laughs) By the way, this is a tangent of a tangent. Do you know uh, Roger Delgado's full name?
1: It's, It's somewhere in the deeper recesses of my mind, if I do.
0: Maybe you will have, you know, said this trivia multiple times in Classic Who, but Roger Delgado's full name is Roger Caesar Marius Bernard de Delgado Torres, Castillo Roberto.
1: Such an incredible chap. Right? Oh my
0: god. <laughs>
1: <laughs> wow. That name alone is enough to turn me. That is incredible.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, wow. did his parents know that one day he would grow up to play the master? Cuz that is a masterful name. It really is. Caesar. His first middle name is Caesar. Caesar.
1: Yes. <laughs> I don't think I did know that. That's fantastic.
0: Oh, brilliant (laughs) Well, I'm glad I could bring that into your life Because when I found that out (laughs) Sorry, that was a digression from a digression
1: That's alright Shall we return to this audiobook? How about we do that? What what haven't we discussed yet?
0: Oh, I found something else that I liked about Sheridan Smith as Chloe Mm. When she (laughs) kills the Mercurials and I'm still reeling from the horribleness of that sound as they are just vaporized or liquefied or whatever's going on. I mean, they are already liquid. Daily quest, yeah. shall we say. <laughs> um, and she goes, oh, lovely. <laughs> I mean, that was just, oh, properly villainous.
1: Yes, very much so. I have a note about that scene as well. Oh, yeah. And it's about the doctor's reaction to this. Because he also, oh, wait, oh, wow, how did you do that? You know, how did you liquefy? How did you turn these three main characters into gloop? She explains it, and he goes, oh, very clever. Mm. No! No,
0: a million times no! Why would he? No! When no, a million when... times yes, because he, he has the proof in front of her in front of him that she is now a murderer and cannot be trusted and so he has to indulge her and play along and not let slip for oh. a second that he is onto her so that he can then manipulate her and, and win later
1: oh i like that yes uh, i retract my former statement i i really like that explanation
0: yeah but the, the slight problem is that mcgann is very cool and commanding throughout this episode he is extremely on top of things so on top of things that i mean you were convinced by that that oh, i yeah, like, absolutely was Yeah, yes. you know what i appreciate that that. That was some some sound strategy there. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that's all part of a while. Okay.
1: Alright. I'm very much on board with that, because to me, that it struck a chord, because it, it was... In direct contrast to how he reacts when, uh, what's her name, Jelena is shot, for example. Yeah. It's like, no, even if she's a bad person, even if she's an antagonist, she does not deserve to die. No one deserves to die. And here these three bad guys are turned to gloop, and he seemingly approves.
0: Yeah, and... I think perhaps Eddie Robson may have thought of that, because he doesn't make McGann that hostile to them. He he says at one point, I'm chummier with you than the consensus are. Isn't that strange? Oh, yeah. So, you know, he, he isn't overjoyed at the fact that they've met their end. and And Eddie Robson had the foresight, the forethought to... Drop that in, just as a little bulwark against anyone getting the wrong idea.
1: Very good. Very good.
0: Yeah, I know we're picking some slight holes, Eddie, but otherwise, th- this is an extremely warm, comforting jumper that you have knitted <laughs> with with great skill and imperious technique.
1: And occasionally, this jumper is uncomfortable in just the right ways.
0: Yeah. Oh, it, it itches you in, in just the right cranny. <laughs> Oh, I, I would say it's not unadulteratedly brilliant, though. I, I don't know whether this is just an effect of the first part being so effective. I, I thought that, let's start with the good news. It was exhilarating in a way I haven't experienced in the previous nine audiobooks. I've rated so far Would you, would you oh, say wow. that as an action scene that The climax of the first part is Really effective, given that you've listened to So many more?
1: Well, to me This audiobook stands out In two ways. One, it is Certainly a lot more uh, I don't want to say it's a lot more climactic It, it, it is a series of climaxes mm-hmm. It is also, by the way Incredibly action-packed In a way that we haven't had before It is but, also... But, but
0: I thought I remembered You saying that We're and Dawn is just one line action scene.
1: Yeah, that's true. This is We're in
0: Dawn is Nick Briggs, isn't it?
1: I think you're right. I, yeah, I enjoyed this far more than I did We're in Dawn, and I once again, I would like to apologise to everyone in the world for uh, our review of We're and Dawn, because it, it's simply unfair. But still, I do prefer this one, if I have to choose. But the other way in which I, I wanted to say, the other way in which this one differs from all the other ones, including the ones that you and I have reviewed together, is that this is it's a bottle episode, effectively. Mm-hmm. They're in an incredibly finite space. There's not, oh, let's go to Paris, and then let's go to London, and then let's go to this planet, and then, then let's go into the caves of this moon. You know, It's not that. It's They're always stuck in one space. And action bounces off walls. Let's just say that as a concept. Action bounces off walls. And because they are constantly stuck in the same two or three rooms, effectively— Action is going to bounce constantly. You're constantly experiencing ricochet.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's, um, oh, I'll let him out of the room. Oh, whoops, he's already escaped. Oh, whoops, that's him knocking at the door right now. Exactly. For that
1: reason, a a climax in this audiobook is almost a very, it's a different species of climax than what we've experienced in other audiobooks.
2: Mm.
1: I don't know if I can compare them. I
0: I see what you're saying.
1: I'm not trying to weasel out of answering the question. I found the climax in, in part one incredibly satisfying. I found the climax in part two incredibly cl- satisfying, but I found them to be very different, partly because they are what leads up to them is just another series of climaxes and they're all incredibly action packed. So it's it's it doesn't have the same contrast to the rest of the story, whereas in previous audiobooks that we reviewed, it's all relatively calm up until the climax when it shoots up into the air. Yeah. Here it's always up there.
0: Not always. Okay, fine. That's hyperbole, but you know what I mean. I was was introducing this topic because episode one was great. And as I say, I was breathless and... Just so relieved to be off the edge of my seat as the outro music played at the, you know, at the intermission. Yeah. And then the beginning of part two was a massive lull. Like, Remind me how part two starts again? Uh, the Mercurials are talking to each other. They're setting the scene. They're doing a bit of an info oh, right, dump. Yeah. And, but you, because you can't tell which is which. And they are doing the thing of, yes, I'm already doing the thing that you were talking about me doing. Right, Isn't yeah. that good? It lost me for a bit I, I went away and had to start again it, it was almost a victim of the previous part's success
1: There is at least one other audiobook That I can think of that maybe Is guilty of a similar phenomenon mm-hmm. Operation Pandorica Oh <laughs>
0: <laughs> Our audiobook was nothing but lulls Until <laughs> Until the end when everything Just exploded m- Yeah and imploded in a warehouse But wasn't that a nice door <laughs> That is the takeaway. That is the lesson.
1: Right. Shall we rate this? Let's.
0: And now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong bing bong. Hey la 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 la. Ratings. La- this is a fun little listen. It's the length of just one modern day TV episode, forty-seven minutes minus the intermission, so forty-five. Bang on. And wow, does it have a lot of twists, turns, set pieces, tense interrogations, brilliant sci-fi concepts, and thoroughly interchangeable aliens. Over. <laughs> overall the acting is fine on average because paul mcgann gets to showcase all his acuity and brilliance the pseudo lucys get to flap around in his wake enjoyably and then everyone else is just dreadfully mediocre and flat or i'm sorry to say another rookie out of his depth but i haven't mentioned this episode's foremost principal shining virtue which is that it has a five-minute countdown to (laughs) auto-destruct that lasts precisely five minutes.
1: Is that what it takes to convince you of the merit of a countdown?
0: I mean, it helps. (laughs) 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 Give or take a second and a half. It was bang on. It starts at 35 minutes 42 and it ends at 40 minutes 43. There's no fakery. There's no time dilation. It's true to the countdown. I mean, it means that I'm rating this episode out of 5.5 because well done. It took 47 years, but finally a Doctor Who writer has managed it and it is the Arise Sir Eddie Robson you have shown everyone else the true path. <laughs> Sorry. Wow. Did I ever did I play that slightly? Let's move on.
1: You, you turned into a televangelist, but it's, it's all right. Go for it. <laughs> Run with it.
0: The abundance of sci-fi concepts at the beginning in the info dump is, is so exciting, and it seals the feeling of a short story brought to life instantly. It's so much cooler than just the dock lands on a ship or a space station. And it's taken for granted that you know exactly what's going on and there's absolutely nothing novel about it. Yet that happens so often. So this imagination, I'm so grateful for it. To itemise all the cleverness in this episode, we'd have to go through it almost plot point by plot point, like in the good old days. Doc knew the self-destruct sequence was a fake because there was no workaround. I mean, I really like that too. There are plenty of other things. I mean, it's in the fours. I would... uh... It's not the high force, though, because, as I say, if you're not a good actor, your Eddie Robson dialogue really starts to clank. You know, you, you need to have a lot of well-trained oil to stop those hinges from squeaking. There is a bit of that in this. So I'm going to give it a 4.1.
1: Oh, wow. All right. 4.1 from Drew. Okay, very good. Right, well, I mean, I could echo every sentiment you've just uttered and simply slap another number on it. I I feel compelled to list a couple of bullets, though. The one thing that wins me over... Sorry, I don't want to single out just the one thing, but one of the main aspects of this audiobook that really win me over is that I find it simply fantastic that the listener's loyalty, my loyalty to these different characters, switches about a million times in just 40 minutes. Or forty-five minutes, whatever. Mm -hmm. It's really quite impressive. Well done, Eddie Robson. On top of which, production values. Yeah, I'm bullet-punning this. Production values. They are mostly top-notch. We've we've mentioned a a few of the highlights. Some things I found a little bit annoying. I mean, such as the uh, the gun effect, etc. It's very nice, though, back to the plot, oh wow, I'm zigzagging, it's very nice to have a story in which the Doctor doesn't seem to have all the answers. It's very rare that we come across a story in TV Doctor Who or in Audio Doctor Who where the Doctor suddenly realises that, wow, he's wasted six years of his life. It's it's nice that he doesn't know everything, even though to a degree he knows that he knows nothing, and in the end we find out that he knew all along, except he had to go off-screen for about three weeks weeks to do the thing he could have done six years prior but yeah it's very nice I like it (laughs) Uh, I'm gonna give this a few minus points for characters being a little bit too homogenous I'm focusing in this case specifically or primarily on the uh, mercurials certainly some points deducted for not all of the actors being actors. I, I think this is just a, a symptom of having, you know, you, you, you pop a celebrity from a different kind of uh, popular media on a cast list, and, and that's what you
0: get. I should interject that Anthony Costa, before he was in Blue, was a child actor on Grange Hill.
1: Yeah, I don't see him on, on many movie posters nowadays, though, so uh, <laughs> I, 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 would, I would still categorise him as a member of a boy band, or a former member. A member of a former boy band, so, So he's not a professional actor is what I'm trying to say. And I think you can tell the difference. Yeah. I'm also deducting some points for the crappy gun effect and for the deus ex machina, which we discussed in depth. But overall, I am incredibly impressed by this story. I'm, inc- I'm impressed by the writing, by the very high concept sci-fi, cool stuff, the profundity of the story in one corner of the ring and the superficiality in, in the other. Paul McGann. Holy moly, McGann is McGanning to the hilt, which is exactly <laughs> how I like my McGann. So, yeah, hats off. Chapeau, sir. Yeah. Sheridan Smith, she gets to act a a bunch, although by definition in this story, she isn't given a chance to show much of a range. But I'm thrilled that she's on board, and I'm thrilled that we get her in many different forms. And you know what? We didn't mention this, and this isn't, strictly speaking, a, an aspect of this audiobook, but the next time on The Eighth Doctor Adventures, it sounds absolutely incredible, and I cannot wait To see what's happening to Sheridan Smith and to to her character, to Lucy Miller. There are Daleks, there's... Oh, we'll get to it next week or next time. Uh, Overall, yeah, I like this. For me, it is also in the fours. It is also in the relatively low fours. Uh And I've written 4.2.
0: Yeah. Cool. I was almost thinking that I had been a little harsh on it, but yeah, it it needed a redraft. It needed a couple of replacement actors. Yeah. And I don't know. That's fine. I don't know what would be a 5.0 at this point. At at this point, I wonder if JD was trolling you back in the day. But then, as you say, next time on Doctor (laughs) Who, it could be everything.
1: It could be so high a mark that it raises the average score of this season to a 5.0 because we just go nuts and give it a (laughs) 12.8.
0: Well, yeah, I mean. (laughs) definitely if you think about it in in that way you you're not allowed to do that so you could definitely have an episode that is 0.9 better than this for me so actually yeah i am i got it right i'm a pretty clever guy
1: there you go yeah well done
0: (laughs) (laughs) have we got any listener minis
1: we chose to do this one very much out of the blue (laughs) (laughs) This was going to be the week that we record a New Who review, so I don't think we have anything. Let me just check.
0: Marie happened to be indisposed, Podcast Land.
1: No, we we don't. Sorry. Okay, Well,
0: let's put out the call then. It's going to be a few weeks before we wrap up the 8th Doctor Adventures. Yes. With hopefully going out on the biggest bang possible, which is what Big Finish will have tried to do. So we would love for you to write in, write in with your reviews of the whole series, Maybe, if you like, still 250 words only, of course. But Or the episode itself But yeah, we'd, we'd love to hear from One or a bunch of you
1: I'm sorry, not just the episode itself But the episodes, because it is a double feature And we're doing it in one review Yes. So that is Lucy Miller And I believe it's called To The Death
0: It is Oh wow, oh, I'm so
2: excited
1: oh my, I cannot be I, I lack the vocabulary to describe exactly how excited I am right now This is exactly how excited I have ever been About a finale of An eighth Doctor Adventures audiobook season.
0: Hey, excellent. They're peaking at the right time. (laughs) Well, I guess that's it then. Yeah. So, next up will be the New Who review. This was supposed to be The Zygon Invasion. And
1: after that, we are back in classic territory with Full Circle.
0: And then in the not too distant future, it will be Lucy Miller slash To the Death. And after that, in the audio channel, please send in your suggestions. What must we review? What can we not afford? To go our lives without devoting an hour and a half to
1: out dissect. Yeah,
0: outpouring our love <laughs> for something's magnificent quality.
1: We've never reviewed an audiobook of a different doctor. I would be very interested in trying that out.
0: We know that Eccleston is coming back.
1: He is. Maybe it's time for some Eccleston. Maybe. You let us know. You tell us Podcast Land.
0: Yeah, what do you think Eccleston is best? <laughs> Okay, so that's it until the future. See you then. But on the way to the future, you can follow us online. Leon, where are you to be found these days?
1: I am still to be found at Ponken, P-O-N-K-E-N. That will probably change at some point, but who knows?
0: And I am at Drewbackwen. Excellent branding. Why, thank you very much. (laughs) Thanks very much for listening. If you're still listening, rock on and be excellent to each other. You know, I can't improve on a classic.
1: Yeah, stay safe, stay responsible. Until the next time, ciao, chao Bye-bye. Kablamo. Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends. But I've got no friends. No problemo. Tell some strangers. Hey!